Gracious God and Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. In 1977, a miniseries debuted on American television. It was called Jesus of Nazareth, directed by Franco Zeffirelli. It debuted around Holy Week in 77, and it would be re-aired for many years thereafter around Holy Week as well. And uh, I can recall watching it with my parents, my sister. I recall uh, watching it really every year around Holy Week thereafter, and I was tremendously impressed with that miniseries. I felt it portrayed Jesus in a very accurate way. It covered not all of his miracles, of course, there are too many, but a number of his miracles. It covered his resurrection as well, and I thought, this is really biblically accurate. And so I was really surprised when I heard from the director himself, Franco Zeffirelli. He said, my goal in Jesus of Nazareth was to portray Jesus as a mere man. A mere man? I thought, Mr. Director, if that was your goal, you failed. <laughs> he comes through, to me, the way I see the miniseries, as fully human and fully divine. True God and true man. Now I share that with you to illustrate this point. Different people can look at the same event, the same miniseries, and see something very different. Polar opposite. And we see that in our gospel lesson for today. John 11, the raising of Lazarus. Look at the opposite reactions it provokes. On the one hand, people believe this is the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel. On the other hand, another group of people get together and say, this man is an existential threat to our nation. Polar opposite opinions produced by the same man raising a dead man. We see it elsewhere in the Gospel reading when, when Jesus stands outside the tomb of Lazarus, he sees Mary weeping, and he sees Mary's friends weeping, and he begins to weep. And, and on the one hand, people are saying, see how he loved him. But on the other hand, people are complaining, they're criticizing, they're saying, could not this man who healed the blind, you know, that was last week's gospel lesson from John 9, could not this man who healed the blind have spared this man from death? Two opposite reactions to Jesus weeping. And I share that because I think very often, as people of God, 
we find ourselves bouncing back and forth between polar opposite opinions about God. On the one hand, we know he loves us. The cross proves it. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's from our epistle reading for today, Romans 8. St. Paul writes in Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did not wait until we reformed. We didn't meet him halfway on the road to salvation. He came all the way to us, and he laid it all down on the line for every man, woman, and child, giving himself into death that we be forgiven. That's unconditional love. We know that on the basis of the gospel. The cross proves it. And yet, on the other hand, God will allow things, circumstances in our lives that will cause us to question whether he's really there and whether he really cares. And that brings us to Roman numeral one in your sermon outline. Christ's love for us does not exempt us from death. His love for us does not exempt us from suffering. We read in our gospel lesson for today, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. Therefore, we read, and this is the puzzling part, therefore, when he heard Lazarus was ill, he remained where he was two days. He didn't come alongside Lazarus at that moment, as you and I might be compelled to do. He remained where he was. He kept his distance. He tarried. He let nature take its course. And Lazarus died. That puzzles us. Because when we respond to illness, we want to respond in such a way so as to prevent death. We want to see health restored, and, and, and rightly so. We're commanded to pray for healing, and we do. And, and we see the results time and time again. Thank God. That's our goal. And God's goal very often is parallel. God's goal very often is to see that very thing happen, or we would not be standing here today hearing the word of the Lord. God heals. We know that from experience or we wouldn't be here. But sometimes God's agenda is very different. You see, ultimately, God's agenda is not to prevent your death, but to bring you through death to a life that never ends. Through death to a life that never ends. And I love the way Jesus speaks of death in a very novel way, in a way that no one really did before him, as sleep. Sleep of the body, not the soul, but sleep of the body, awaiting an awakening from him. Roman numeral two. We believe, but our faith is not yet fully formed. We believe, but our faith is not yet fully formed. 
we see this in the gospel reading where Jesus finally says to the disciples, Lazarus has died. But for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you might believe. Now, I thought they already believed. They did. But their faith was, as of then, still incomplete. It was not yet fully formed. It reminds me of the man in Mark 9 whose son is demon-possessed, and the man cries out to Jesus for help. And Jesus asks him, can you believe? And the man responds, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You see, we often struggle between two opinions. We know God loves us unconditionally. The cross is the evidence of that. But on the other hand, there are circumstances, there are events that come our way. Our path sometimes leads down into the valley of the shadow of death. And in those times, we're tempted to question, are you really there? Do you really care? Letter A, a complaint is faith-seeking understanding. The Psalms are full of complaints. The psalmist often lament, they complain to God about their circumstances. And all but one of those Psalms ends on a positive note, a positive note of faith that God will respond, that he has responded, that he's promised and he will fulfill. In our gospel lesson for today, both Martha and her sister say to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What she's really saying, what they're saying is, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. Now, if you were Jesus, how would you hear that? Very possibly as criticism. And the good news is, this is why Christ came. He came to bear all of our complaints. This is letter B. He bears our complaints and he bears our opposition to his will. He bears all of this. We see the opposition to his will when Jesus gives the command, remove the stone. And what does Martha do? She says, Lord, he's been dead three days. By this time he smells. And he replies, did I not say to you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? You see, he bears the opposition to his will. It's, it's really no different than when Peter after hearing the first passion prediction of Jesus in Matthew 16, said to him, Lord, this will never happen to you. You will not go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. This will not happen to you. And what does the Lord say? Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, 
but the things of men. You see, sometimes unknowingly, not only do we complain about God and his ways, but we oppose his plans. This is why Luther explains in the small catechism, when we pray, thy will be done, we're actually praying against the world, the devil, and our own sinful nature, which always opposes the will of God. And the good news is that Jesus bears all of this Without complaint, he bears it all the way to the cross. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He did not come to condemn the world for its complaining and its opposition to his world, to his will, but to save the world through him. This is the glory of God that we see on the cross. A man who forgives even those who put him there. Roman numeral three, Christ will lead you to where you have never been. And I would like to amend that to say, Christ will lead you through where you have never been. He will lead you through the unknown confronting you today. I'm reminded of the words of the psalmist, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for thou art with me. You see, the valley is not your destination. It is but a doorway to your destination. And the destination is a life that never ends. And this is why someone said, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. Letter A, the greatest unknown we face is death. It's not the only unknown, but it's the greatest, and it's the one that inspires the most fear within us. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, when he says, I'm the resurrection, what does he imply? He implies that you and I will die. Unless the Lord returns first, It's appointed for each of us to die once, and then the judgment. When he says, I am the resurrection, he's implying that you and I will die. But Jesus does not see death as final. He does not see it as your destination. He sees it as the doorway to your destination. There is life beyond it, you see. There's life beyond it. That is your destination by the grace of God. Part A, number one, Martha's faith was right, but it was not right enough. She had it straight. You are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. That's absolutely true confession of faith. But she did not yet know Jesus as she needs to know Jesus. She did not yet know Jesus as the resurrection and the life. The life beyond death, the life beyond each and every unknown you confront today. That's what she needed to learn. That's what all of us need to learn, and we need to learn it often. Number two, Jesus will grow her faith 
by growing her knowledge of himself. Growing her knowledge of himself. I love the account in Matthew 14 where Jesus feeds the 5,000 and then he sends the disciples off into the boat by themselves to go to the other side of the lake and he goes up on the mountain to pray. And then during the fourth watch of the night, this is early in the morning now, they encounter him walking across the sea and they think it's a ghost and they cry out in fear and Jesus said, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter walked on the water. But then he noticed the wind and the waves. And he began to sink. And he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. You see, he took his eyes off of the one who is the resurrection and the life. His attention was diverted by the unknown, by the wind and the waves. The one who says, I am the resurrection and the life, he is God's answer to whatever unknown you face today. He's the answer. Letter B, this man, Jesus, is worthy to follow because his deeds match his words. My deeds don't always match my words, neither do yours, but his deeds always match his words. When he says to you, you are forgiven, and he says that to us every Lord's Day, through the called minister, forgiving your sins where you are. When he says that, he backs it up with proof, with his deeds. He bleeds, he dies on the cross for your forgiveness and for mine. When he says to you, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, he proves it, he backs it up by giving to us his own flesh and his own blood in the Holy Supper to sustain us on our journey. And when he says, follow me, he proves it, not by walking behind you or even alongside you, but by going ahead of you through every unknown you face as your faithful shepherd. My friends, whatever unknown you face today or tomorrow, even death itself, know this, it is but a doorway. It is not the destination. It is but the doorway to a life that never ends. There is life beyond it. And you can face the unknown faithfully because of the Christ who has made himself known to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.